Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. There's no question the pandemic has impacted higher education, but two-year institutions have been hit particularly hard. In the most recent update to the Connecticut Board of Regents this month, its Finance and Revenue Committee reported the 12 community colleges, quote, face enrollment declines, operations limited by pandemic conditions, and long-standing financial pressure. And next fiscal year, the colleges could face a shortfall of $61 million. Recently, the Journal Inquirer reported as Nuntuck Community College and Enfield and Manchester Community College were among the schools with the sharpest decline in students since the pandemic started. As Nuntuck seen a 27.4% drop in full-time enrollment since 2019, and Manchester seen a 20% drop during that same time period. The Journal Inquirer reporting declining enrollment has been a trend for at least a decade. Today, where we live, we talk about the challenges facing Connecticut community colleges here and also nationwide. What's being done to retain students? Coming up, we hear about some of those efforts from Capital Community College in Hartford. First, we check in with the Chronicle of Higher Education. On Zoom with us is Lee Gardner, a senior writer for the Chronicle. Lee, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Our listeners can join as well, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. So I laid out briefly some of the challenges in enrollment and revenue here in our state, Lee. But nationally, what's happening with community colleges? Uh, well, community colleges have had a very difficult time uh, during the uh, pandemic. Uh, you know, four-year institutions, uh, despite a lot of worries, uh, ended up being relatively unscathed. And, um, you know, uh, some people might take objection uh, to uh, that, but relatively unscathed. Uh, community colleges, for a variety of reasons, uh, uh, took very serious enrollment hits. Uh, in some cases, I've talked to institutions where they lost uh, 25 to 30 percent of their enrollment uh, that uh, that first fall back. Uh, and of course, that impacts their revenues, um, you know, state uh, budgets staying relatively solvent and um, uh, federal money, uh, uh, money coming from the federal government have uh, staved off the worst consequences. But institutionally, um, that's uh, been a big impact on the institutions themselves. And of course, students, uh, a whole uh, um, a cadre of students has been disconnected uh, from education and, and that has uh, uh, pretty serious uh, short-term consequences and of course, long-term consequences. Mm -hmm. Let's talk more about the students that are being served by community colleges nationally. Uh, I was looking at a, an op-ed in the Washington Post from Columbia College. We'll be hearing uh, from uh, Columbia College later in the program. But the fact that when we think about 
community college is enrolling more than a third of college students in the U.S. It's a gateway to higher education for many, including low-income and mi minority students and how they've been impacted, Lee. Well, uh, that's kind of the crux of the the, the challenge uh, uh, and uh, the problem for community colleges is that uh, those are communities that were hit hardest by the pandemic uh, and um, were, uh, uh, you know, faced the most challenges in terms of uh, uh, dealing with a school. More than one community college leader, um, when um, I spoke to them about their challenges during the pandemic, said some version of, in terms of students, life happened. Uh, you know, uh, suddenly they had young children at home, a lot of community college students or parents, um, and um, uh, they're older and they have jobs, or suddenly they didn't have jobs and they had household bills uh, piling up. Uh, so, um, you know, it was a very challenging time for a lot of students, which of course made it difficult for them to continue their education. Uh, you know, the figures are, are, are really startling in terms of uh, the, the national losses. I mean, the public four years nationally lost about 4% enrollment overall between 2019 and 2021. Uh, community colleges lost about 15% uh, nationally. Um, and the the rates of loss uh, among uh, demographics like uh, black men uh, much greater uh, than um, the demographics for say white women. When we talk about life happens, also dogs barking in the background, <laughs> Lee. Uh, <laughs> this is where we live as we hear from Lee Gardner, senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, with us as we talk about uh, community colleges, enrollment uh, declining, uh, the trend being seen even before the pandemic, and now the pandemic has exacerbated it. If you're a member of the community college system, maybe you attend, uh, you're a student, we'd love to hear from you about your program. Again, the number 888. 720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So knowing, uh, Lee, that there are uh, challenges that these leaders at in these institutions have seen, talk about some of the um, strategy that they've tried um, because we're talking about often also non-traditional students who are dealing uh, with work situations, child care, uh, so many uh, factors that can impact their college career. Right. Well, you know, the digital divide uh, was a big, um, um, I, I don't know that you can call it a revelation, but I guess it was for a lot of uh, a lot of administrators and a lot of folks. Uh, the digital divide was a big issue early on. Uh, a lot of uh, community college students, uh, when everything pivoted online, um, you know, they didn't have uh, uh, laptops. They didn't have reliable Wi-Fi at home. Uh, you know, so community colleges uh, spend a lot of money on hotspots. Uh, and giving out free laptops. And that certainly made a difference, but it was not enough to make up uh, the difference for many, many students. Um, you know, they, uh, the big challenge is that um, community colleges have very uh, uh, diverse missions. They serve a lot of different types of students from, you know, students who are still in high school to students who are fresh out of high school to older students who are, um, you know, as I said, working or parents or, you know, doing different things. Uh, so no one uh, angle of approach is going to work for everyone. Um, you know, I, I spoke to um, a student success um, um, person at a, a community college in Tennessee who um, was uh, sitting in his office early in the pandemic with a bunch of spreadsheets with all these different 
um, uh, data sources on students trying to figure out, you know, well, did this person transfer? Uh, we know they didn't graduate, um, you know, trying to figure out how best to, um, you know, categorize students so they could try to do outreach. Um, and, you know, they've had some, some institutions have had some success uh, with things like call centers with just sort of reaching out and saying, hey, we're still here for you. We want you to continue your education when you can. What do you need? Uh, but again, the challenges are very steep. And, you know, frankly, a lot of uh, students were not uh, thrilled with online education. They, they didn't really like um, learning online, even when they were able to. Um, and we're waiting for colleges uh, to, to come back on uh, to, to come back on campus. Uh, then again, I heard from other institutions that students were wary of coming back on campus because of COVID. So we've been focusing on the student, the current students, and some of the challenges uh, they face uh, to, um, you know, complete their degree or institutions to, to retain uh, these students uh, throughout their uh, the degree process before they graduate. But what about when we think about incoming students and what we're seeing with uh, high school uh, graduates or maybe students not graduating as high level as before and how that's impacting uh, the stream of potential students at community colleges, Lee? Well, that's been one of the bigger demographics that has not shown up for community college the last two years is uh, uh, students that are fresh out of high school. And I don't think that there's, uh, at least I'm not aware of any uh, kind of data or consensus on where those students are going just yet. Um, but many of them are not going to community college. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of worry among uh, some of the folks I've talked to at community colleges uh, leadership that, um, that you know, a lot of uh, community colleges um, have gotten rid of uh, some of their developmental education uh, courses. You know, in in the past, uh, you know, students might come to a community college and they might not have had a great education at their high school, and they would be asked to take a test, basically uh, an English test or a math test, and they didn't do well on that test. They would be placed in a developmental uh, remedial class to sort of hopefully bring them up to speed. Uh, and that was seen by many as a barrier because, you know, you would be put in this class, which was sort of like high school all over again, and it didn't feel like forward progress, and, and they would lose a lot of students that way. Uh, so a lot of community colleges got rid of that and started trying to find other ways to move those students along. Uh, well, now community colleges are facing potentially uh, several, um, uh, you know, years worth of students who are going to leave high school uh, probably less prepared than they were before uh, due to remote uh, education because of COVID. Um, and in a case where they've gotten rid of a lot of those remedial classes uh, or those, uh, those tests. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now about how that's going to work uh, when those students do show up. And that uncertainty, as you mentioned, some courses being cut uh, with uh, uh, steep enrollment declines impacting tuition uh, revenue. So it's a, a tricky situation that these institutions are are facing, uh, trying to serve their students, but also thinking about uh, what can be cut uh, given the reduced resources. Lee, uh, it is. It's it, you know, community colleges do a difficult job, and they do it. Uh, they're often um, more um, under-resourced than their four-year fellows, uh, at least if you look at it on a, a, a per-student basis. Um, but, you know, they, the folks that I talked to 
at community colleges that are sort of used to that. I mean, that's that's been how it is for for many years now. Um, you know, I, th I think that uh, um, a lot of uh, community colleges are 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 um, doing some smart things uh, with guided pathways, which I imagine we may hear something about, which is uh, sort of taking a less laissez-faire attitude toward uh, uh, guiding uh, students through uh, the college experience. Um, they're, um, I think uh, community college leaders are learning a lot of things through the pandemic, sort of realizing that some of the things that they're doing that they didn't think were barriers are more barriers than they realize. Um, you know, having students have to come to campus to fill out this form or pick up this, you know, this or that thing. Um, that's difficult for working students. Um, you know, I had a, I had a administrator um, at a, um, at a college uh, tell me, uh, you know, well, our office is open till six o'clock. And, you know, I mean, if you've ever been a, a working person, you know, it's not always easy to get somewhere by six o'clock, you know, even if you have a job that ends at five. And so, you know, it's not that people aren't well-meaning and trying to do well by students. It's just that colleges have certain ways of doing things. And um, I think that that college leaders are starting to realize that some of those things that they've been doing for a long time were barriers more than they realized that they were. When we look at uh, the way the last couple of years uh, um, have impacted higher education and in the past when there's an economic downturn, things haven't actually turned out <laughs> in terms of helping community colleges where people may be going back to school. Why is that? Oh, well, yeah, the, 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 the pandemic has proved to be very surprising to a number of people uh, who, who work at colleges in a, in a variety of uh, unpleasant ways. Uh, community college uh, enrollment is usually counter-cyclical to the economy in that when the economy is bad, it usually goes up um, because, you know, people are out of work um, and they, you know, they have time to, to go ahead and take some classes or they, they go back to school to uh, try to, to, you know, learn a new skill to get a different job. Um, and, you know, community college enrollment reached its peak, um, I want to say, in, in 2011. Uh, I may not have that right. Um, but a few years after uh, the most recent uh, big recession um, and has been on a slight downturn ever since uh, 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 overall because the economy has been good. And so there were plenty of jobs uh, and, and there were sort of, uh, you know, tapering off of community college enrollment. Uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, many people thought, uh, and not without reason, that community college enrollment would go up. Uh, because when the economy is bad, that's what happens. Uh, and in fact, uh, there was even some uh, talk uh, in the spring of uh, 2020 that uh, it would go up even more because there was a there was a, a theory that uh, four-year students uh, would not go to their four-year institutions. Uh, they would stay home and take classes at the community college because it was cheaper and they wouldn't want to like you know, go to big state U and stay in their dorm and take classes online. But that didn't happen. And, and community colleges uh, not only didn't get those four-year students, they lost students because of the reasons we talked about earlier uh, that, that many people didn't anticipate. Um, and uh, it's, it's been an unpleasant surprise all around. 
has public opinion changed surrounding community college, especially when you see the way the Biden administration uh, has talked about uh, free community college? I don't think that's uh, looking very likely in the infrastructure uh, build back better. Uh, but I'm wondering if you can talk about how uh, stereotypes around community college may impact uh, enrollment, if at all. Well, I, I think um, a lot of things have changed. Uh, you know, the Biden administration, the Obama administration before it uh, gave a lot of positive attention to community colleges. And I think that there's a, a broader uh, and spreading understanding uh, that community college uh, uh, degrees and credentials are not, uh, uh, you know, somehow second class and that, you know, there are many uh, credentials and degrees there that, uh, people can have good lives and good jobs uh, 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 by earning them. Um, I do think that there's still, you know, some perception problems in terms of community colleges, uh, you know, the 13th grade or, or whatever it is people want to uh, sling at it. Um, and, you know, I think that that community colleges probably bear some responsibility for, for, um, for, not that they are in the business of marketing, they have a lot of other important jobs to do, but, um, there is probably some um, some messaging confusion there in terms of uh, um, what what a community college is and what it's for. Um, you know, there's more suspicion than ever, I think, among the American uh, public, generally speaking, about what a college degree is worth uh, and if it's worth as much as it costs. Um, you know, and the good thing uh, in the favor of community colleges is that community college degrees are, are affordable and, as I said, uh, often uh, can, can lead to uh, good uh, jobs and good lives. Um, so they have an advantage there, um, but it's, uh, uh, you know, I think that they still have to get the message out maybe in a, in a, in a better way. Before we head to break, again, I'm talking with Lee Gardner, senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education. Are there particular states uh, that are um, doing better than most when they look at a robust two-year community college system, Lee? Um, gosh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure professionally I can answer that question, really. Uh, mm -hmm. But um, I, I will say that um, a lot of states are doing uh, free community college right now. Uh, and I think strictly from an access point of view, and Connecticut is has some limited free, uh, at, at least I understand it has some limits on it, uh, free community college. And I think that states that are doing that are, um, at least in terms of access, are probably um, uh, probably doing a good thing for its uh, uh, citizens. Uh, you know, free community colleges is dead at the national level at this point. Uh, it may come back at some point. Um, but those programs have a, a lot of potential to do some good things. Uh, Tennessee in particular is the first state to start a, a, a Tennessee, uh, a, a state uh, free community college program. And it has two, which I think is something that's worth uh, uh, maybe emulating. They have uh, one called Tennessee Promise, which is for students fresh out of uh, high school, which is similar to the one that Connecticut has, I believe. Uh, they also have one called Tennessee Reconnect, which is for older students, and that one's less common. But uh, you know, I mean, if we have to, if we have to give an edge to a state for doing a good job with its community college, the the presence of that uh, program for older students, I think, maybe gives Tennessee the edge, and maybe 
I have to admit that I have a slight bias since that's where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Tennessee Reconnect, the, the program for older students, maybe gives them a slight edge because, you know, most community college students, I think the average age of community college students um, is uh, 28 years old, uh, you know, there are a lot of students in community college who are those, you know, fresh out of high school, 18, 19 year olds, but that's not everybody. Uh, and those students who are older uh, need help too. And in some ways they need help more. They have uh, more responsibilities, more challenges in some ways uh, often. So uh, the fact that Tennessee has that program, I think is I would, certainly something personally I would like to see other states uh, look at more as well. And you mentioned Connecticut um, has a limited, uh, as you mentioned, tuition-free community college program. It's known as PACT, and so uh, students apply, and so the the program covers the gap between federal and state grants. Again, you're with us is Lee Gardner, who's senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education, as we talk about community colleges. After the break, we're going to focus on Connecticut, specifically how local institutions are working to attract and retain community college students despite uh, many years of enrollment declines. Now, do you attend one of Connecticut's 12 community colleges? We'd love to hear from you about your program and your decision. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Lee Gardner, senior writer of the, for the Chronicle for Higher Education, is with us as we talk about the challenges community colleges face, including enrollment declines. Uh, the spokesperson for the Connecticut State Colleges and Universities System, Lee Appleby, says full-time enrollment this semester compared to last spring is expected to, to decline by 6%. This naturally impacts tuition revenue, and unlike the last couple of years, federal 
federal aid won't be available to help the budget shortfall next year. The Board of Regents Finance Committee is saying recently that at the moment, the 2023 deficit for the 12 community colleges will be $61 million. Given these challenges, we wanted to learn about local efforts to attract and retain students. Joining us now on Zoom is Dr. Duncan Harris, Chief Executive Officer at Capital Community College in Hartford. Duncan, welcome back to the show. Hey, good morning, Lucy. I mentioned the enrollment declines at some Connecticut community colleges have been pretty bleak. Uh, looking at the Journal Enquirer reporting on Asnuntuck and Manchester Community College. So what have you seen at Capital since 2019? Yeah, since uh, 2019, uh, we've had a, a sharp decline, you know, similar to other community colleges uh, nationally. And so our fall to fall uh, retention for this last year was actually 46%. And so 46% of the students that started uh, fall 20 actually came back uh, this following this this past fall, which was obviously uh, very concerning. The, the previous year we were hovering around 49%. Uh, and uh, so we were hovering around those those levels. So very concerning. So when uh, you when you uh, share that number with us and that it, it is concerning, uh, specifically for Capital Community College, talk through when you reach out to students or if you're able to, you know, what are some of the challenges that keep them from continuing with their degree program? Yeah, I mean, that, that's been the, the, the focal area. And so it, it's certainly not uh, a, a desire to remain in school or cognitive ability, oftentimes it, it's non-cognitive barriers. And so it, it might be childcare, it might be housing insecurity, it might be food insecurity issues, uh, it might be mental health. And so, you know, one of the things that I'll, I'll uh, suggest uh, is that over the last few years, we've really made a concerted effort across our entire system to, to augment those supports. Uh, and so uh, we uh, recently launched a, a, an initiative with the Department of, of Housing in which we now have uh, access to to rapid emergency housing. Uh, we had a, a, one of our nursing students who was in our senior year uh, experiencing housing challenges. And so we were able to, to shore, up, shore that up for her. And now she can focus on, on uh, her program and, and graduate in May and, and, and uh, roll right into to one of the many jobs available in, in the nursing industry. And so, so that's just one example. There's another example around child care. Uh, and so we're aware of, uh, you know, I'm a parent myself of three children, and, and that uh, comes before CEO or, or other titles that I have. Uh, I know that our, sim our students are, are in a similar, uh, uh, have a similar approach to that, and parent comes first. And so oftentimes they may stop out of school due to uh, a lack of ability to find safe and secure uh, quality child care. And so so um, Beth Bai and the folks at the uh, Office of Early Childhood have been working with our system to uh, and have found uh, funding that will allow us to to add staffing and extend hours in our child care uh, centers this year. And so so there's there's been a, a, a wide variety of, of, uh, of approaches and tactics to shore up, you know, those uh, folks that aren't that aren't coming back, uh, that we realize it's not due to a desire to, to complete their degrees, but oftentimes it's barriers you know, and it's not mission drift too. So I, I would suggest that as we talk about uh, community colleges, you know, nationally, uh, and when you look at, at the initiatives that they're rolling out, um, you know, while instruction um, remains the core um, part of our mission, we're finding that a need to, to add to that mission, you know, uh, robust 
um, supports uh, that support mm -hmm. uh, students uh, staying in school and completing. And so that's I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to fit in a call. Catherine's calling in from West Hartford, uh, whose uh, I believe son attended one of the Connecticut Community Colleges. Catherine, go ahead. Oh hi, um, I have. I can't say enough about how wonderful the Connecticut State Community Colleges are. Um, we had to pull our son out of um, high school due to behavioral problems, and so by the time he was ready to uh, apply to college, he had missed all the deadlines that his peers had gone through. And so the best option was community college, and it was available, it was accessible, it was affordable, um, and it was such a positive experience. And we, he did apply for the PAC program, but wasn't eligible for that. However, he was eligible for the GAP program, which is the Guaranteed Admissions Program. So he was able to um, seamlessly transfer to UConn, which he did this semester. He's at stores and is able to pick up with his peers and really had a great experience um, that really met him where he was so that he could grow up and catch up and be able to attend college. So I can't say enough about what the state puts out to try to help and meet um, uh, you know, students at every stage of their lives. So um, great experience from a parent's perspective and also from his perspective. He'll graduate with a degree from UConn Stores, which is very elite for him. He knows that the beginning, though, was, was from Tungsis, and he's grateful for that. Well, thank you, Catherine, for sharing that story. Uh, Duncan, you know, earlier I had mentioned to Lee Gardner that often community college can be a gateway for people into higher education. It seems so for her son. Yeah, it's interesting, uh, Catherine. Uh, thank you for for that testimony to the the quality of of uh, Connecticut's community colleges. Uh, and it, you mentioned that that Tunksis met him where he was. And I think we take great pride in in being uh, student ready, not necessarily expecting all students to be college ready, which has been a pivot for us. And so, so I'd imagine my colleagues, uh, you know, that we're working with your son you know, uh, we're able to ensure that he had what he needed to to transfer and, and be competitive and successful in terms of the academic rigor. I think uh, Lee, a little bit earlier, was talking about some of the the, the, uh, the negative stereotypes um, that I think plagued community colleges, you know, in our, in our early history. But I think what we're seeing now uh, is that uh, parents like Catherine recognize the, the value. Uh, I think the, the uh, millennials and Gen Zs recognize that uh, they don't need to do what I did in, in 1988 and, and get in the back of the sta station wagon and, and drive away to, to live in a dorm uh, and paint my face on Saturdays uh, for four years. And so they're, they're seeing the, the value of community colleges and, and getting a, a degree and a credential, whether that's credit or non-credit, not incurring the, the same debt that many perhaps many of their, their friends are incurring. Uh, we find that uh, many of our students now coming out of high school uh, want to uh, get a short-term credential, um, you know, versus a, a two or four-year degree, um, uh, go and enter the world of work, and then uh, then go back to school. We launched a program with Eversource, an 11-week uh, program uh, in which uh, uh, it prepares individuals to become line workers with this amazing company where they're able to, to uh, you know, uh, get a good job right away. Uh, Eversource will pay for them to, to go on to get their engineering or business management degree while they're working. And so we're, uh, which has been a, a change for me. I've been uh, working in community colleges uh, in March. It'll be 26 years, actually, all those in our Connecticut community college system. 
And uh, I think early on in my career, there was a, a pretty significant pressure when we were recruiting students uh, from, from high schools to, to really uh, promote primarily or, or um, you know, our, our credit programs. Uh, but now when we go out and we're working with, with uh, students in, in high school, we also uh, talk to them about some of the, the short-term credentials uh, that we can offer that will allow them to, to start working right away. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we always encourage them, you know, once they get that first credential to, to keep going and to, to develop a, a, a passion for lifelong learning. So you're mentioning some of the ways uh, Capital Community Colleges has pivoted uh, to provide uh, the uh, education or shorter uh, certificate programs uh, to help uh, meet students where they are so that they can uh, get gainful employment. Um, but I'm wondering if you can talk more about the students that are struggling. And so yeah. some of the strategies uh, that your community college has taken along with how the state college and university system sees a way to help the students who are starting to complete their degree. Yeah, that's key. Um, and, I mean, and I, uh, you know, we have an amazing building. Uh, we're, we're located in downtown Hartford, the former Jeep Fox building. Uh, and there are the, uh, the revolving doors that uh, when you come in. And, and what I've always said is, is what good are those revolving doors if students come in and they find themselves back out on the street without a credential or a degree to support themselves and their families. And so we've really been focused on on that retention piece. And, and once we get them in, you know, how are we, we keeping them? And so uh, in that regard, uh, we uh, recently launched an equity center. Uh, and so there's a, a focus on addressing some of the, the equity gaps that our students have. And so some of the equity center, we have um, uh, partners. And so there's an, an office, the YWCA has a program where they support uh, women enrolled in, in various programs here, so they're they're on campus. We have uh, the Sun Scholars, which is a, a program working with DCF, and so our students that are in the foster care system have a a person right in uh, in our building, you know, to provide support for them in our in our equity center. Um, we also have um, a, a mentoring program <clears throat> for uh, that focuses on on BIPOC students, uh, black and brown. Uh, males and females, brother to brother and sister to sister. And so so to provide, you know, tailored, nuanced uh, support. We recognize that there, uh, many of the, the males in particular aren't performing or being retained at, at the uh, same rates as their uh, white male counterparts or other uh, cohorts. So we We've recognized the need for you know tailored, nuanced support for those for those students, and then the, the last thing that I'll, I'll mention is is an initiative um, uh, on guided pathways and guided pathways advisors, and so so I actually now have a, a team of, of advisors, and, and uh, previously uh, I had maybe four people, uh, four uh, uh, amazing staff members, but but now I have a team of of, of nine uh, guided pathways advisors. Uh, there are two team leaders and then uh, uh, Kaisha Wood, who's, who's the, the head of that team. And so we now have an, an army of advisors uh, to really uh, uh, get at what you're speaking about, which is, is, is what's going on with our students and, and how do we know? I think that many of the students that aren't retained and when they decide to stop coming, it, it's not at, uh, you know, nine to five. It may be, you know, at, at midnight and, and, and something happens and, uh, you know, they decide they're not going to come the next day. We now have individuals in place to know what's going on with, with Duncan when he's about to make that decision to that will uh, impact the rest of his life or his uh, continued enrollment at, at the college. And so, so the uh, we have a number of schools that have uh, are have been a part of uh, our phase uh, one of the rollout of, of guided uh, pathways advisors, 
and they're already uh, achieving uh, uh, gains. Um, Housatonic, which is in Bridgeport, which has a very similar demographic as, as capital, has uh, achieved a, a, a 10 point uh, fall to spring retention uh, uh, gain as a result of, of having those advisors in place. So I'm very excited about that. Those are mm-hmm. a few of the initiatives that we've been rolling out. And it's good to hear about uh, these services uh, catering to specific students who need uh, um, more help or just more guidance uh, to help them complete their degree. But I had mentioned uh, this um, projected shortfall among the 12 community colleges, $61 million. And so as CEO of Capital, just one of the 12, you know, are you concerned about some of the future decisions you'll have to make? You know, what services will be cut? Uh, because obviously you can't be increasing enrollment at the, I'm sorry, tuition at this time, uh, but looking at how to increase enrollment. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the, uh, the, the governor just uh, released the, their, their budget uh, announcement. And I think that uh, the, the, the governor and, and the state legislature see that there's, if, if anything, there's a need to invest in uh, our community college uh, uh, system at this point in time. And I'd imagine that, that they're recognizing that the ROI and, uh, you know, from my understanding, and I've worked in the space for quite some time, it, it's, it's uh, more economical to, to keep an existing student than to go out and find another one. And so there's, there's been this, this uh, recognition of that and investments being made uh, in the, the retention of, of our students. And, and uh, you know, the folks in our, our, our system are, are uh, you know, working through the, the budget forecast. And we do believe that investments being made now will allow us to, to right the ship, uh, you know, down the pike. You know, for me, as the, as the head of, of, of this particular campus, um, you know, we're, we're growing philanthropy. You know, we're working with our, our foundation. Uh, we recently received a, a $3 million um, Title V grant, which uh, is uh, we're a Hispanic-serving institution, and so that pays for fat, uh, staff uh, in that area to offset any uh, losses uh, due to, you know, the block grant and things like that. So, so it is a challenging time, but I, I feel as though, uh, the, the need for for us and the, the work that we do that that benefits the, the residents of the state of Connecticut is as great, if not greater than it's ever been coming on the uh, heels of the pandemic. Mm. You mentioned you've been in the community college system for 26 years. So what you reference, it sounds like that's a change uh, within the state legislature and the governor, because in past years, we know often when uh, the budget needs to be met, social services and higher education, those are the first places that lawmakers cut. It's, it's interesting. I think that, um, you know, once again, as you, it, I think we're, we're being seen in a very different way as a, as a key cog in the economic uh, structure of the, of the state. And when you're talking about workforce or you're talking about individuals that, uh, that are enrolled in public higher education that are, are likely to, to stay here, raise their families, you know, support, you know, uh, our K-12 systems and, and pay taxes, you know, it's my students and it's the students at our CSUs. Uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, that there's, there's that recognition. Very excited about, um, you know, Connecticut State Community College coming online and, and, and what that will mean for us being able to do things at scale. You know, we launched a manufacturing program this past summer uh, and we were able to stand it up um, based off of leveraging the uh, expertise and experience of, of our sister institutions in, in a very, and it happened in a very different way than it might've in the past. And I think that that was the result of, of kind of this new uh, structure that is uh, Connecticut State Community College. So, so very excited about, you know, kind of uh, where we're headed and the role that, uh, you know, our community colleges will, will pay, play 
and, and you know, really the, the revitalization of, of, of uh, coming on the heels of the pandemic of the economy. And you mentioned uh, this is the merger that is uh, underway, consolidating the, the, the community college uh, uh, system. Uh, so thank you, Duncan Harris, for your perspective. And just to hear about some of the ways you're pivoting at Capitol uh, to serve, better serve your students, Dr. Duncan Harris is the Chief Executive Officer at Capitol Community College in Hartford. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you. Also here with us was Lee Gardner, senior writer at the Chronicle of Higher Education. We'll share some of his stories looking at enrollment decline and how community colleges nationwide are responding. Lee, thank you. Coming up, on where, coming up on where we live, uh, as I mentioned, community colleges enroll more than one-third of college students in the U.S. We learn more about how institutions can help students complete their degrees. Duncan mentioned guided pathways. We'll talk to the Community College Research Center at Columbia University right after the break. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up tomorrow, Election Day is many months away, but the race for Connecticut governor has begun. On the next Where We Live, Republican candidate and presumptive nominee Bob Stefanowski joins us to talk about why he's running again. What questions do you have for him? Join us tomorrow. Now, today we've been talking about how two-year community colleges can respond to troubling trends made worse by the pandemic, like steep enrollment declines. We heard briefly about a model called Guided Pathways that focuses on helping a student complete their education and, and earn their degree. Joining us now with more is Hannah Lahr, Senior Research Associate and Program Lead at the Community College Research Center at Teachers College at Columbia University. Hannah, welcome to our show. Hi, thanks for having me. So tell us more about how this model was developed at Columbia and, you know, the, the focus uh, when we think about guided pathways, how it's helping these institutions uh, with these big time challenges. Yeah, so the guided pathways model was really developed based on about 20 years of research that my colleagues at the Community College Research Center and I have been doing with, with community colleges across the country. And the idea with the guided pathways model is that it's this whole college reform where the goal is to ensure that all students are entering a community college um, and that they're helped to explore, enter, and complete a program of study that's aligned with their interests and goals and that is preparing them for a good job in their community or transfer with junior standing in a major. So a program might be something, uh, an associate's degree in a field like biology or English or sociology where students are preparing to transfer in that major, or it may mean a program where students are earning a credential that's preparing them for entry into the workforce after they finish uh, at the community college. You so, mentioned, Hannah, you mentioned whole college reform, and so what you're sharing with us, it makes sense, but why wasn't this being done within community colleges uh, before this model uh, came about? What were some of the challenges? Was there too much fragmentation or not enough advisors to help students? Yeah, so the original model for community colleges was really to be an institution of access, so trying to serve the needs of the community and to provide uh, students and potential students with 
um, you know, what they what they wanted to do. So for many people, it was taking a couple of classes. For some people, it was earning a short term credential or certificate. For other people, it was preparing to transfer. But in many cases, these efforts were in some ways fragmented and not scaled. So some students would experience some services, some students would get some opportunities, but not all students were really had these the opportunity to enter a program of study and complete a program of study. And, and these efforts weren't um, just available to all students in all programs of study. And so now that we are hearing that many of these institutions have adopted this model, what have been the outcomes? Because even Connecticut, we're still seeing enrollment decline. It's been that way now for a decade. Mm -hmm. So really the, the Guided Pathways Framework asks colleges to re-examine what programs they're offering um, and then to reimagine how students are onboarded into these programs. So how they're uh, how they're asked about what are their interests, what are their goals, and then they're able to learn about various programs that are available at the college to ensure that they're making um, you know, a decision that at least is initially aligned with those interests and goals. Um, it changes how advising is structured and delivered and how students learn the skills and knowledge and gain experience in the field to, to take kind of that next step. Um, so we've been working with around 120 colleges across the country for about six or seven years now um, to see, like, you know, what are some of the early outcomes? Uh, one of the challenges with Guided Pathways is that it does take about five to six years to really implement these reforms at scale. Um, so it's really, it's, you know, it takes a while to see, are we improving completion? Are we improving transfer? Um, so we really focus on these one-year metrics, looking at how many credits students are accumulating in their first year. Are students passing gateway math and English courses in their first year? Um, and based on the research we've done, we've, we've seen that these metrics are predictive of those longer-term outcomes. So you, you're, if you want to move those longer-term outcomes, you first need to focus on these shorter-term one-year metrics. Um, and in our work with community colleges, we have seen um, increases in these early momentum metrics. And you know, one of the things we look for is whether outcomes are improving for, for all students, and in particular, whether they're improving for low-income students, Black and Hispanic students as well. So we disaggregate the data um, to compare these outcomes uh, for students overall and for a particular student subgroups. And we're starting to see that some of these equity gaps are closing. Um, I would say one other key metric we look at is the number of credits that students are, are earning for an associate's degree. Um, and so, for example, we met with a college recently that has been implementing guided pathways reforms. And when they started, when they started, students were earning an average of almost 90 credits to complete their 60 credit associate degree. And now students at that college are earning on average less than 80 credits. So that's a big improvement. We just have a couple of minutes left, Hannah. I, I've got to ask, when we think about implementing this, is it costly and is that a barrier that um, you're seeing as this model is, is trying to be adopted uh, in different uh, community college systems around the country? Yeah, we, we did some research looking at how colleges are funding these reforms and um, you know how much it costs. And our research found that implementing Guided Pathways does require some additional resources um, my colleague, Clive Belfield, who's a professor at Queens College, found that for the average community college, 
the startup cost to implement guided pathways is about $450 per full-time student per year, but the costs of sustaining these um, sustaining these changes over time is lower than that. And you know, we found that the largest costs are associated with advising, which Duncan talked about earlier. Um, and in particular, hiring enough advisors to move to this case management model where advisors have caseload of students and they're able to really uh, track students' progress over time. But other substantial startup costs may include uh, providing faculty and staff release time to engage in, in some of this design work, um, as well as purchasing or upgrading some IT systems. But I would say most of the colleges that we've worked with have done this with little new money. Um, some of them have raised some uh, grant funds to kind of help kick off the work um, and to support startup activities, but the colleges relied um, as much on reorganization, reassignment and reallocation of staff and resources um, to really cover the ongoing costs of these reforms. Again, we've been talking about guided pathways. This is a framework developed by the Community College Research Center at Teachers College at Columbia University uh, to make sure every student has an academic and career plan, receives uh, advising and support uh, to help them complete their degree. Hannah Lahr is a senior research associate and program lead at the Community College Research Center at Teachers College. Hannah, thank you for explaining this model. We appreciate your perspective today. Thanks for having me. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. And again, tomorrow, Bob Stefanowski joins us to talk about his second time running in the Connecticut gubernatorial race. He's a presumptive Republican nominee. We hope you join us with your questions, too. <laughs>